0: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom podcast. My guest today is Tem Nugmanov and he is building the first Notion Consultancy. So welcome to the show, Tem.
1: Thank you for having me. I actually didn't realize the pod is called Crazy Wisdom, but I I like that name. That's fun.
0: What's uh what what comes to mind when you think of uh, crazy wisdom?
1: I mean, immediately I'm thinking of Francis, right? And you know, founders of Invisible, and and just like he's very very wise, but definitely has a bit of bit of crazy in them. So I can kind of see how these two worlds collide in you know himself, but also I imagine in Invisible. I actually had a chance of meeting a lot of folks from Invisible, uh, or a few folks in the past couple of weeks, and everyone's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, definitely wise not quite sure if everyone's crazy but <laughs> yeah.
0: well uh, yeah, um, yeah. Francis, francis definitely has crazy wisdom that's uh he's one of the most interviewed guests on on the crazy wisdom podcast uh so if anybody's listening and wants to check out some of the other episodes just look for francis pedrasa definitely has some crazy wisdom uh and a lot of invisible people do have crazy wisdom as well um and uh it's quite a uh the 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 in the year the crazy wisdom actually comes from uh a guy named chogyam rinpoche who is a tibetan who set up a university in uh, Colorado uh, called Naropa University, mm-hmm. um, and he was very crazy, maybe may an alcoholic, and and uh, all this different stuff. But the the Western tradition also has a similar uh, word for it called divine madness, um, and so there's also something within the Western tradition that t- speaks to the same thing. Yeah. So, what's the crazy wisdom of Notion? Is Notion do, Would you put Notion under crazy wisdom?
1: I not necessarily. I I, I I guess it depends it depends uh, how you look at it. I think I, th- I think there's a subset of users that goes crazy with notion absolutely that 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 definitely included me. And when we say crazy, it's it's something like becoming such a power user to the extent where almost your life is defined by the tool. I mean, that's kind of me. Uh, we've got video going on so I have a I have a notion tattoo on my forearm oh, nice. um, that's, that's 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 probably a, a, a little crazy. um I, and I think you know if it, right now obviously Reddit has all these challenges going on, but there's uh, red there our notion subreddit, you'll see a lot of crazy on there like people styling dashboards with all kinds of colors, all kinds of customizations, gifts. uh you know, widgets water trackers this that the other people go really crazy about it now um and and i think there's definitely an aesthetic satisfaction of of styling your digital workspace or your digital you know a home for yourself now is that wise uh in some no i don't think so i don't think so I, i think there's also there's definitely a bit of um learning curve that you go through where you enjoy the craziness of of using notion or any sort of productivity tool and and you like the the this um the novelty that it brings to your life um and the excitement that you feel with setting up and nailing it and seeing how it it impacts your life but i think where the wisdom comes from is when you're probably overbuilt, over engineered workspace is simplified to really help you just get the basics done or or really do more work than and less process. And so I think I think uh I'll I'll say that the notion world is divided in some crazy and some wisdom. And I think a lot of crazy is probably now moving into more, into more wise. Um, not a question that expected to answer, but I think that that probably more or less satisfies things
0: it does uh and it's funny because notion just gives so much functionality but then i think it drives a lot of people crazy a lot of people in our company are just totally overwhelmed by notion because it can do so much and you it's like the blank page but you know then you see all these kind of beautiful manifestations from other people and they're like they have no idea how to do it and i was one of those people myself um, cause before I started at invisible, I didn't actually, uh, use notion. I had used a lot of other note-taking devices and what, but when I, when it came to my own personal experience, like I used to try to keep it as simple as possible. And so I would use things like Workflowy or, um, or, uh, Rome, Rome research or Evernote back in the day, but even Evernote after Evernote, I was looking for something that was, that was just really, really dead simple, which was Workflowy. Um, and, uh, and now I'm on notion and. I got a kind of a very very uh, intense experience uh, leveling up in it very quickly, um, and now I can use it really well, but I still can't use it to the best of my ability. Um, what? How did you get get involved with Notion? What was your story for for getting involved in it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think before Notion, I'll 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 say that hmm, things primarily started for me in two thousand fifteen. That was before Notion was released and the reason I anchored to that year is because that is the year when I moved from New Hampshire where I was in boarding school to New York to study at NYU and even before I set foot on campus, I knew that I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. I wanted to start a business, and when I began at NYU in September of 2015, I actually uh, decided to start a business. And at that point, it was a, it was a fitness technology business, that essentially enabled sort of data quantifications and optimizations for weightlifting, um, which is still a problem that's not not solved. But the way uh, and we the business that business failed, and we tried to. Um, we tried to, I think, uh it was a difficult problem to solve for a freshman who didn't know hardware, software, data science, didn't know anything besides pretty much being the idea slash charisma man, right? Um, but th- that context is important because when I started on that business, I started at NYU. I got involved in multiple communities, both entrepreneurial and in student government. And I was in three to four positions of leadership. And you know, instead of being sort of a more normal focused person, I decided to turn into productivity tool, turn to productivity tools, and organize myself to the best uh, possible capacity. And that's where my discovery of these tools began. I remember figuring out that um, how Google Sheets works, then finding a blog post about Trello, then seeing Asana, Sansama, you know, Flow, even Slack, Zapier, Airtable, all of these tools. I, I've realized I've get I've had a natural affinity towards figuring them out. Pun, no pun intended, because affinity is also a tool. Um... But uh, essentially from 2015 to 2018, I built up this capacity where I was known on campus or in my friend group that I was like the person who knows all the tools The somebody called me the uh, walk in the human form of product fund. Uh, and my friend would joke like, hey, calling Tim API, I need a tool that, that does this. And I'll be like, yep, that's the one. So... Um, I've gained that I've gained that knowledge and that expertise. And then in 2018, I was in LA, I was on producton.com. And I think it was, I don't know if I was browsing or searching, but I saw Notion. And at that point, Notion had released their 2.0 product in 2017, one with databases, I believe. And as soon as I saw it, something clicked and I was like, whoa. This is very interesting because what it does is it puts together uh, my Airtable and my Google Drive and my Google Docs in one space, and I I think I saw that potential right away, and I I set it up. I spend close to three days just staring at that black canvas and like figuring out what, how, why. I know I want to understand the, this. And then, and then I slowly started using it for primarily uh, the use case of organizing a startup accelerator for college students that I ran. So it was intuitive to organize the events that we're hosting, the mentors that we're working with, the startups that we were assessing and, and, and helping uh, in a database format that's all interconnected and then providing resources to them on like public facing no- um, Notion pages. So that was my first workspace that I built. And uh, the fascination with the tool and the interest in the tool then led me to their community that was sprouting up online. And <clears throat> they had um, they had this uh, group called Notion Made Simple, run by Francesco, Francesco D'Alessio, he's a YouTuber. Um, and his job was to make YouTube videos or is uh, YouTube videos about tools. And so he had a group about Evernote And he saw the early potential in Notion and created that group for Notion. And so then I was engaged with that group. I was providing advice. I was getting advice, so on and so forth. Um, And then someone who was just hired at Notion named Ben Lang posted on that group and said, hey, we're hosting these first ever Notion events. And um, we're looking for people in New York. And I was in New York, so I was like, me, 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 I, I want to I want to participate. So uh, I ended up giving a talk on that event uh, about bullet journaling and, and how that works at Notion. And that was my first uh, close contact with the Notion community in person. Then... Uh, it's a bit of a long winded story, but we're getting somewhere. Um, then I I, I hosted, I, so after that event, Ben essentially invited me to become one of the first Notion ambassadors. Now it's a group of like five to 600 people globally. Um, I was the first one in New York and then I was in charge of hosting events in New York. And for me, that really combined several passions. I was already pretty good at event management. I was into these productivity tools and I sort of layered that, that startup tech interest. And for me, it all combined, the, it combined these things. And then next thing you know, I'm hosting these events for like Notion for product management, Notion for design or personal productivity in Notion. Um, and on the third event, that was notion for I think design uh a certain person came up to me who is the founder of an insurance trucking startup and he asked if he could hire me to migrate their confluence workspace into notion and he casually mentioned that he may, he's willing to pay like a thousand or a couple thousand dollars and at that time I'm almost done with school. I'm 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 interning for um certain uh for the entrepreneurial workspace at NYU making fifteen bucks an hour. So I was like, whoa, yeah. that could be a thing. Like notion consulting. This 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 is interesting. And so I agreed to take on that job. And that was my first notion consulting job in and probably the first notion or one of the first notion consulting jobs in the world or history of mankind. <laughs> um and then and then that that was the beginning. Uh that was late 2019. And then from there on, um, I started picking up more jobs via Twitter because I every time I would post a notion event, I would tweet about it and I'd notice my follower account come up. And then I would share notion stuff on Twitter. And I think people pinned me as a or define me as this like startup person who is knowledgeable in Notion. So then we've got this direct to consumer influencer named Nick Sharma posted a tweet saying hey i need a notion consultant and then i get tagged like 10 times i even asked my friends to tag me extra so that i have more social proof um and that was like one of my more defined jobs and and then you know i'll pause here because that's that's sort of the origin story
0: uh that's great it's very interesting to hear why do you think notion uh faced such explosive growth among the technology industry and it seemed to capture a part of the technology industry that things like Evernote or Workflow didn't really capture. Why do you think notion captured it? And kind of like this guy who offered you to offered to pay you to bring it from Confluence into notion, like why did notion hit that so well?
1: I think there's a number of reasons. And some of these reasons are lightning in the bottle, maybe, maybe impossible to recreate in the future um but at the very least contrasting to the tools that you mentioned with Workflowy and Evernote and we can even put Rome own research in there because it's it's a a recent favorite or a recent popular tool but I think all of them have primarily solved the not necessarily solved but addressed the single player experience the um, me note-taking about my things, my life, my meetings, my goals, so on and so forth. Whereas Notion somehow figured out how not only to do the single-player mode, but also offer a multiplayer experience, right? Team, business, organization, non-profit, student club, um, group of people working on a project together. And that is a, such a, a, a important change that then Multiplies the potential users by a, a multiple multiples of magnitudes, right? So, and I think the um, fundamentally, the sharing of a notion document uh, is not as frictionless as Google Doc, but it's pretty close, right? You just share the page online, and then you send off the link and then, sure, to edit and comment you do need to be a notion user but that's even more helpful to them because then they sign up and become notion users so i think i think um notion nailed two things one is the fundamental um authoring experience for creating the content with their block based design um and then taking whatever you've created and making it very easily shareable and then spreadable to to a number of multi, to multiple users, so I think that's that's at the foundation of just the basic user experience. Now, how come did it really pick up within the technology sector? I I think well, we 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 know that tech folks are always early adopters of of I think new technology usually um, naturally so and um and and i think there has been a brewing need for something like notion because if we think about like documents and and writing it's been fairly stagnant until the recent let's call it renaissance of note-taking tools Uh, it's it's been pen and paper than uh, micros you know whatever before Microsoft were like notepads and stuff and then it was really Google Docs um w- with sort of the collaboration thing in mind not necessarily I'm, I'm kind of eliminating Evernote and I think now from Google Docs to notion that is a pretty pretty big pretty big leap especially considering that in notion then you can have databases and tables and way to um, create more complex data flows and interrelated uh, with each other. So I I have, a, I have a feeling that I don't have necessarily a clear answer, but it, it definitely addressed that need, it, it, it definitely addressed a need for higher fidelity collaboration tools that did not exist for decades within Microsoft Doc uh, Microsoft Words or Google Docs.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting question. We can go somewhere pretty interesting, at least uh, interesting to me from here, which is that I'm sure you've heard of the second brain. uh, And if you haven't, I'll give an update for you and the listeners, which is that uh, I think it started with a guy named Thiago Forche, who who I've uh, had on my show before, um, who talks about the second brain. You know, we have the first brain, which is our brain inside of our brain. Uh, then we have our second brain, which is the brain we put down on paper. And now some people are talking about the third brain, which is like our artificial intelligence. But that second brain piece is almost, and all the note-taking apps you mentioned are almost totally individualized. Like, I don't think there's anything that Tiago was talking about actually I haven't read the book. So he might've actually talked about this and I'm sure he does consulting for businesses, but you very rarely hear about a second brain for an organization. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with because so few people understand how to do it. Because I think once you get above 150 people, this idea of organization, like I, I talked to the director of knowledge management at Google, director of knowledge management at Google, they developed Google Docs uh, but they couldn't actually manage their own Google Docs, so they actually had to hire a third-party Ao Docs in order to manage all of their uh, their Google Docs. Um, and so, like, it's just such a crazy problem in business. And I don't think a lot of people. I don't. Uh, certainly, there aren't a lot of people talking about it. But I think there's also not a lot of people who actually understand the problem because it's such a diffuse and crazy problem. What do you think about everything that I just discussed?
1: It's. I think we're very much, it's paradoxical, or it's a paradox, but we're, even though knowledge is what societies, cultures are built on, we're still early for defining what knowledge management exactly is, and how it can evolve for different types of organizations, and also different types of people. It's its almost that um, you, there's a relationship between form and function, right? And, and I think form for a while didn't quite exist to then introduce the function of knowledge management. And what I mean by that is that tools, the right tools didn't quite exist, right? Like Word in isolation and uh, thousands of Word files in a Microsoft uh, or SharePoint or whatever are just not a conducive way to like really derive uh, benefits of knowledge sharing and uh, collaboration same thing with thousands of google docs in a google drive but now with all these new tools like notion coda almanac um, to an extent Airtable. uh, now that's now that's possible so it's interesting that the form of these tools has now is helping shape up the function Um, so that's one observation another observation is that knowledge management as a phrase is also feels pretty Pretty enterprise, pretty archaic, pretty like like if you Google knowledge management, the first thing that comes up is a definition by IBM. Yeah. And yeah. I don't even know what IBM does these days, but but I do know that like IBM is is this like is this like big, gigantic enterprise thing that requires so many processes and checklists and just like big, big corporate, right? Um, and so that's one one interesting definition. And then if you scroll down, you'll see that. The third uh, link, it goes to a resource KM World, which is a is a is a website about knowledge management, which looks like it was built in the 90s, uh, probably has actually, it hasn't been updated. So it's interesting that almost like this, the, the definition of uh, and the processes and the thinking around knowledge management kind of got stuck in time since the 90s, until now these new tools started emerging. Um. So that's 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 another observation, and and then I think there's another there's a distinction to be made between personal knowledge management, right? We talked about single player to, uh, enterprise, business, organization knowledge management. These are two two different worlds, and because there's different purposes and different degrees of 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 accuracy and content and um, rules and permissions and and sharing that that is involved with these two worlds. And what's interesting is that the I think the personal knowledge management world has advanced very quickly on the best practices and perhaps the best tools, right? With the Zettel-Kasten method, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, maybe not. With with building a second brain, right? BASP that Tiago Forte developed with Para that also Tiago developed, right? I think projects, areas, resources, archive, um, uh, all all of that stuff, but there is no clear equivalent in in business or in team knowledge management and I think that's one of the things that at optimization our our vision is to define that um,
0: are you gonna do it talk- it's
1: not I don't feel that it's it's well it's well quite defined right now. But you know, at the same time, we have a limited viewpoint, right? We're a new organization. We work mostly with startups. We're more uh, the tool makers rather than the framework makers build, builders. But I think we're positioned to we're well positioned. That's hmm. that's that's what I'm saying.
0: Sounds like the fir- first thing. Uh, now that uh, now that you've discussed that, it sounds like the first thing that comes to mind is a conference. Are you thinking about doing a conference?
1: A conference? Oh, yeah. us hosting a conference? Yeah, uh, yeah maybe one day. No, I, I think definitely, definitely, absolutely one day, but probably not not very soon. I think there's there's a lot more work to be done on what are the best practices, what are the standards, what, um, how do you define knowledge management and its processes and, you know, key participants and key users uh, within the context of of all these new tools and you know, new developments in technology like AI, right? I think whatever is written on KM World most certainly does not account for, for LLMs and knowledge management and Notion AI and, yeah. and code AI and all of that stuff. I think things are moving extremely fast right now and it'd probably be a bit foolish to decide on this is the standard practice right now because things are things are changing. So I think eventually, eventually we will come to something, but uh, that's probably going to take a bit of time. And then I feel comfortable creating our own propaganda machine like the yeah. conference.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, there's two things to that. The first is what you mentioned about AI. I've noticed that in talking with the uh, knowledge management professionals, uh, there's actually a lot of kind of aggression against uh, AI uh, because I think for that very point that it might obviate a lot of the knowledge management Um, tradition of knowledge management that it might change. I mean, if it can accurately and intelligently, um, you know, find and develop resources based on the content that you already have, then a lot of the knowledge management work around the explicit knowledge might not be so useful anymore. Uh, The the implicit and tacit knowledge from knowledge management will continue to be interesting, I think, because that's really about connecting people and stuff. Um, The other thing uh, that I was thinking as you were talking was about do you think that knowledge management needs a new name? Um, and I guess when when any when you whenever you're trying to create a new name, then you have the problem of you name something new, but then nobody else knows what it is that new thing. But in my experience so far, most people don't even know what knowledge management is. So it might be a good opportunity to create a new name for something that's like like building a second brain, but specifically to go talk about kind of within the organization. What do you think?
1: That 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 may be an interesting route to sort of define a new a new category here. Because I think the word the two words put together, knowledge management, in and of itself introduces confusion because you, you could go into like write semantics and and define like what does it mean to know things and um knowledge like what is not included in knowledge everything is knowledge technically and technically project management could be part of knowledge management because it's about what do you know about a project's timeline of owner requirements to do's follow-ups meeting notes, like everything could be just bundled up into knowledge management so i think I think it may need uh, uh some kind of unbundling or some kind of re- redefinition. Wow. I'm not necessarily committed to that, but it it feels like that may be that may be something that's required. Um, I think folks have been uh using uh something a, a very definitive part of uh knowledge management in terms of wikis and SOPs, and that's more clear, like a wiki being a uh collection of contents about a company's specific processes a company's specific policies uh a company's directory and you know clear um uh, responsibilities and decision rights and so on i think i think that's very clear and a lot a lot of people use that language these days especially in our in conversation with us like wiki Mm -hmm. um I think I think you're onto something with re- de- redefining the term, but I'm not quite I'm not quite sure. Um, it's it's really crazy is-
0: because it's 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 it, this is what I've been experienced with knowledge management in general is that it's just such an abstract term, uh, and it's so as you said everything can be part of knowledge management because like w- everything we've been talking about this is an exchange of knowledge. I actually interviewed the CEO of Guru yesterday uh, and Guru is like slightly competitive to, to, to notion has been around, I think longer, but, um, and uh, he said it was something really interesting, which is that knowledge management is essentially asynchronous work. So when you were meeting live and stuff like that, there is a sense of knowledge management that we're communicating everything like that. But really what knowledge management comes down to particularly in the remote, remote era is that anytime you're doing asynchronous work, that's knowledge management. Cause it, it's like, this the way we're talking right now, person to person. Like, we've had thousands and millions of years of evolution that have defined how we do this. But when it comes to writing, that's only like, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years old. Um, and so there are like, there are a lot of things that are, are not known. So it's just like this crazy kind of abstract thing that people don't really know what it is. And I'm having a somewhat of a, a challenge in the, within the organization to help communicate what knowledge management is and how it can be helpful um, because it's just so abstract. Uh, and that, that I guess would like, but then there's no other term that gets directly to what, what's, what, what it is that knowledge management's doing because it's so like, it's such a, it's so meta. It's such like a layer that on top of this other layer. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's interesting definition. Knowledge management is the same work. It's Rick, Rick Nucci, right? Yeah. Um, Hmm. I would I would disagree because I mean for example a so asynchronous work is actually a clearer definition right synchronous versus asynchronous very clear to 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 define that even further just for everyone synchronous I believe is having a Zoom meeting right like we're having uh, talking in person is also synchronous but then Things start to blend a little bit, right? When you're sitting down, both on Slack and typing yeah. at each other, you're technically, you know, not Dude, like you are think, yeah. you, you are synchronous, but you're using an asynchronous medium, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Um, and and so and so then, if we take that definition further, knowledge management is asynchronous work. Um, is recording a loom uh, knowledge management?
0: Oh, interesting. I, I like that. Um I would I, I would, yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah. I think it's knowledge capture is something that you know that you put together on a video and then you send it, but you send it for the purpose of not necessarily managing knowledge, not necessarily saving it somewhere for future reference. And you're 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 sending it for collaboration so that the person on the other side. Um, either get something, understand something, takes an action item from that, or uh, asks your question or, or leaves a comment, right? Mm. So, um, I I think it's just the the knowledge like management and knowledge is just such a two broad terms put together yeah. that, that that are just hard to hard to work with, right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I think other examples could be like you know if you're if you're asynchronously recording a voice note or if you're um asynchronously reviewing you know grain.com is a tool that we use for recording our our zoom chats and putting highlights and if you if you're recording this like you're technically just reviewing a meeting asynchronously is that is that knowledge management i i don't think so i mean it's catching up with a past event so it's it's yeah it's it's murky and and it's uh, unclear right now
0: yeah so that leads to me to ask, what, what are the other aspects of knowledge management besides communication? Because we've been talking a lot about communication where we have Loom, Slack, Zoom, other things. But what, what does knowledge management encompass outside of communication? The,
1: uh, the clear one is project management, and that's a whole beast of its own, where... I'm I'm not not a, not an expert absolutely. Uh, in fact, I'm not an expert in anything. You know, I just I just happen to have stumbled in into this opportunity and I'm making the most of it as a notion <laughs> notion maniac. Um so but with project management is interesting because we actually had that question come up last week in our team meeting and somebody defined that knowledge management is it's about um storing information for future reference ah, uh, it. in independent future reference. So ah. you don't have to message someone. You don't have to get on a Zoom chat. You don't have to ask questions because the document answers the questions for you and for 1,000 other people, depending on your size of your organization. Whereas project management, it is about here and now and what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Very action driven.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. And 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 I think an interesting example would be here with with uh with inside of optimization we started using linear, um and linear is is a very advanced not so advanced but modern, um issue tracking tool that takes on the likes of Jira, and mm-hmm. so our process involves scrum and scrum traditionally is uh, well i guess it sits under agile which agile could be many things but specifically scrum i look at it as a as a project management um framework and right there's a number of ceremonies or meetings that are happening right so this is synchronous synchronous project management um but then i think some all the meetings are recorded for people's reference or saving into a document, which is then knowledge management. But but I think the very distinct aspect about project management is when we sit down, we look at a board and here's our backlog. Here is 10 tasks that we're going to do. And then everyone on the team uh, picks a task and then we actually vote um, synchronously. What is the effort estimate? Wow. So we try to on how much effort that this particular task takes in this the Fibonacci Fibonacci scale points. I think it's like zero to five to then eight. Um, and, and then what what what's happening is that it's almost like shared asynchronous alignment. Um, but that's not knowledge management. It's it's a it's 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 sort of it's something in between. Like we understand we we upgrade our mental frameworks that this task takes five points of effort. And we do that uh, through the synchronous medium. Um, but then for future reference, we know that similar tasks take that amount of points. I kind of digressed, but that was just the interesting thing to but bring it
0: is, up. It is interesting. And uh, I'd be curious because doesn't, wouldn't it depend on the person doing it in terms of how much effort it takes?
1: Yes. The way we the way we set it up is that the the team uh, tries to achieve alignment intersubjectively what yeah. how much effort it will take. Um, so nobody in isolation assigns points. We we actually have these live sessions where you look at a task and you say this is three, and then if someone says hey this is an eight, the person for the eight makes the case if they're committed to that. But if not, they say okay I can see how this can be a three. Let's commit to a three.
0: Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, cool. So talked a lot about knowledge management, asynchronous work. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I would okay. actually love to like kind of drive
1: the point home, but I guess I think it might be a little bit confusing. Like what is the point of this process? And I'll, I'll give you a real, real case study here for especially folks that are like in the services business or the, or the professional services mm-hmm. um, we at optimization have a, uh, avoided, purposefully so, tracking hours and reporting hours to our clients. I think for a number of reasons, but overall, our tracking is fundamentally misaligned. Mm, The employer wants you to do less hours. The employee wants to do more hours, not once, but could, ideally. And then if the employee is really good, they could do something in five to 10 minutes. And that just, that that breaks the whole model, right? So anyway, that aside, so we've never tracked hours. But the problem because of not tracking hours, then we couldn't assign a clear cost to our projects. We knew that, say, three people are involved and I knew their salaries, but I don't know to what extent they're involved and then therefore how much the project has cost. And so... Because of that, I've kind of single-handedly destroyed our profit margin because I didn't know I didn't know like our prof- our projects profitable. So then we implemented the system that I just mentioned earlier. There's the Scrum aspect, linear aspect, uh, certain meetings, and what ended up happening is that we were able to figure out for each project uh, all of the tasks and all of the point values for each of the tasks and a sum of point values for each project. And then because we are in working in cycles, we could tell how much we're able to accomplish over each cycle. And because I know how much each cycle costs from a delivery compensation for the team's compensation point, I can then derive a dollar figure for each uh, point and therefore determine the cost for uh, each project. And so now we have this like very interesting system that allows us to uh, measure capacity measure cost without all the hour tracking.
0: Without the misalignment with customers. Uh, it's yep. very interesting. Um, it, we can go in a very interesting direction from this, which is essentially that it just makes so much sense. And I'll give an example. So to pay hourly, you know, I've got, uh, back in my, back in my house, I'm currently in Brazil, but back in my house in the woods in California, uh, I have people who do like landscaping and stuff like that. And I used to just pay them hourly, uh, but as you said, there's the misalignment there because th- they want to then charge more, and you can't really. You have to be there in order to, and especially now that I'm in Brazil, how do I actually manage that? And so then the incentive goes to be profit project based, uh, and then but then you just said a, a very interesting point where it's really hard to then at a very at a business level. Like I'm not at that business level in that specific sense, uh, but it's very hard to like track how much it actually costs you if you're not tracking your own hours to then go against it. And so this kind of goes back into the knowledge management question, too, because it's I find that whenever I peer into things that other people are doing, societies doing, civilizations doing, usually the answer of why people are doing it, it's just, well, that's the way things are done. Uh, And then nobody really has good explanations. It always just comes back bound to like, well, that's just the way things are be done. And you can. But then what you just described and a lot of what invisible is doing as well is that it's you can break it down into first principles But it's almost like this imagination game because you have to go in and peer into reality. and, And we can get philosophical with this if you want, where there's like there's the objective reality that we are witnessing, but we're witnessing it through the subjective lens. And that objective reality is kind of far away. We don't really know what it looks like. All we have is our evolutionary based kind of subjective understanding of what's going on. Um, and like one of the tools that we have is this ability to imagine things, uh, imagine things that are real, imagine things that aren't real. uh, And then like the objective world that we're actually watching is some sort of a a mixture of both as well. Um, do you have any thoughts on this kind of philosophical, like just like imagination, how it plays in with business, uh, anything that I just said, kind of spark anything in you?
1: Yeah, well, it reminded me of sapience and Mm -hmm. right. You evolve Rari's. Thesis around the fact that the reason we are where we are in in development of our species species is because we're able to take our imagination take our take myths that we just came up with and then align to the point that these things exist uh exist and then they are uh, and then they be uh, not just exist these things, we share the belief about their existence together to the point where then if a person stops believing it, they are deemed, right, an outcast or an outlaw or whatever. So um, that that's a very interesting, there, there, there's, there's a very interesting relationship there with knowledge management because at what point does a myth or an imagination become knowledge? <laughs>
0: Uh, it's a great question. If you have if you have something you want to say, I'll go for <laughs> it. Otherwise, I can segue that into a very interesting way.
1: Uh, I, I mean, I, I, think the like if we take United United States for example, um, and Declaration of Independence or the the Constitution, um, until it is a ratified document. And iterated upon document with all these right debates, town halls, whatever, whatever they had, you know, rap battles like in Hamilton. Um, it was just imagination. It was just it was just beliefs. It was just that I believe that you know we should be an independent nation. And and then until the point where I think um it uh, this belief is transferred from one person to another, it is agreed upon, it is it is a certain level of alignment and agreement is reached then it becomes and then it's put on paper, right? It's transcripted. It's it exists outside of their minds. Then it becomes knowledge. So I think the aspect of of taking someone outside of one's imagination, outside of one's, you know, brain and committing it to, I guess at that point, physical pen and paper. But in our world, the digital medium is when imagination and or beliefs becomes knowledge and then 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 it needs to be managed because knowledge is outdated right things change beliefs change and and so i think i think that's what it is that's what knowledge management is 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 a set of beliefs uh of uh, from an organizational standpoint of how things are done that uh, then continuously needs to be nurtured uh trimmed like a bonsai tree or like maintained and that's that's all that knowledge management i suppose
0: is i loved it i love that okay we got a a few different ways we can go. The the question, at what point does a myth become knowledge is really interesting because I would love to talk about the Mormons. Uh, The Mormons had a very interesting take on that uh, that directly contradicted the United States take on that. And they actually tried to sort of do a revolution within the revolution only 50 years after the revolution actually happened. But I would love to ask, because you, ta- you talked about the Declaration of Independence and before that it was just an idea and then they put it on paper and similar to Notion and made me think about how maybe like in the future somebody will create a new declaration of like a DAO or something like that on on on, on Notion or something like that. And that'll be where the Declaration of Independence comes. Uh, but the, the other thing was the real real politic interpretation of that, which is that they had the idea, then they had the uh, document with the uh, Declaration of Independence but then once they wrote that document, then they became uh, traitors, uh, and then the British army came and 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 tried to kill them all. Um, and so, where does that? Where does the? Uh, you know, this goes outside of the business, although maybe not. Uh, w- which is, you know, where does the monopoly of violence or monopoly of violence and the state uh, come into this whole knowledge as well? Because. Uh, that's a very interesting subject that we could talk about, like in terms of like taxation as well, because the, you know, the corporate environment exists because we have this monopoly of violence. The United States government has the monopoly on violence and they thus regulate the businesses and the businesses are given clear regulatory instructions so that they can actually do it. But it all depends on this sort of like realpolitik thing about we're still, you know, apes going back to Yuval Harari, we're just hairless apes who are just like, yeah, set on killing each other unless we have this monopoly a state with a monopoly on violence. Any any thoughts on that?
1: Well, well I think specifics aside, uh, the 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 as the core concept that I'm I'm kind of taking away from this is this is hierarchy
0: hmm.
1: within knowledge management hmm. and status of certain individuals as it relates to knowledge management, right? Because if we go back to this definition that we just arrived, like just somebody you know the this band of rebels uh, shared ideas wrote them down and decided that this is now knowledge but then you know was it king george the
0: yeah, yeah. king george, yeah.
1: whatever yeah. said no this is not knowledge no, that's not this knowledge it's heresy this is this is imagination that you all just this is a, some kind of blasphemy that shouldn't exist and you know it, we we're going to raise an army to undo this knowledge Um, which if we were thinking, if we, if we were to think about this in a, in a, in a corporate setting or in a business setting, right. It's, it's so sort of similar to someone coming up with a document on, you know, how to run a process and then the boss is like, no, I don't want to do any of these steps. We're just gonna, we're just gonna suspend two hours on zoom and (laughs) hash it out, um, which is, is which is sort of like a it's it's an interesting um concept because there's a force that undermines knowledge management and that force is authority hierarchy uh laziness and um sort of lack of care sometimes right i think knowledge management requires requires uh, diligence it requires conscientiousness and um when people don't bring that to the table the whole the whole system is under risk um and uh, and I sort of pivoted away from what you said but I but I think that that that's that's an interesting observation and how do you mitigate that well well, you mitigate that by establishing I think clear roles and expectations uh-huh. and I think checks and balances organization in, in an organization where, you know, even though maybe the CEO doesn't want to follow this process and they just they just run with whatever, there needs to be some kind of system that holds them accountable and that it uh, requires them to 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 participate in one form or another. It doesn't mean they have to be stickler to the process, right? There's one the part of the philosophies of Scrum is people over process, so mm. I think it's still important to keep that in mind: people over process, but. If it's all people over process, then what's the point of process? Process just doesn't exist, and and it just breaks down. So I think there's this an interesting balance that needs to be struck within the context of capturing, sharing, and following knowledge. Um, yeah.
0: So I'll, I'll I'll pause there. So that was great. Um, I would like to ask, uh, and I'm not asking to name names or anything like that, but have you ever run into a a client that? or a potential client that you decided not to take on or that you had to give up because of this problem that like your specific way of actually doing things really conflicted with the unspoken ways of which the organization functioned?
1: One thing, one instance comes to mind where we're working with a team, um, startup early stage series, a, um, say 20, 25 people. And we, our project was to attempt to redefine their, uh, remote work culture or remote work workflows. And a uh, very early sign of trouble was when we had an asynchronous process for capturing what we call the POV, sort of a person turning on Loom on their workspace and sharing how did they go about their day-to-day, their task management, their meeting management, uh, meeting notes, follow-ups, a calendaring, all of that stuff. And once we send out the tasks, we sort of assign them, we put instructions, we made it all nicely packaged uh nothing happened (laughs) no we we sent reminders we said hey can you do this Uh, it should be it's informative for our research process nobody like followed the process and only until the point where we actually got on with them for an hour-long conversation then um it sort of kicked off and i think that was a signal where essentially the, there is an aspiration to be more asynchronous an aspiration to be more a company that captures shares knowledge and and is more effective in that way, but they were not showing up for that. and that started from the top where the CEO was was someone who preferred to synchronous solve problems exclusively synchronously
0: mm, That's very interesting, yeah, because it's, uh, so that it's that's one example, yeah. Yeah, they hired you to fix this problem, but the fr- the problem itself uh, actually uh, got in the way of fixing the problem. Um, yeah. So well, yeah, in the last few minutes, uh, what is the biggest thing you've learned about async work and how to incorporate async work into a remote environment?
1: I think it has to. Hmm first of all i want to acknowledge that we are going through uh, a lot of change between what role does async work play in the workplace right there's the, there is the thrashing between all remote remote first hybrid now many are going back in person office based setting all of, all of that and and when there's when there's more in person collaboration it tends to be just naturally more synchronous and um, things get, things get lost or maybe things are, are sort of communicated the one that are never meant to be found right by anyone. So I, I think I want to say that there's just a lot of things happening right now, and it's not very clear what the best practices are, but mm-hmm. I think at the foundational level, uh, any synchronous work has to have asynchronous counterpart, right? So conversation in person, conversation in Slack, um, mm-hmm. conversation in zoom maybe a recording or something that, you know, if it's not sensitive topic, available through like grade or something like that. Right. Uh or notes on paper, notes in notion. So I think I think there's has to be that sort of duality between all the mediums. So each medium has to have a synchronous way of form mm-hmm. and an asynchronous form. And I think it really depends on the organization. Um what kind of culture do they want to build is it more synchronous is it more asynchronous um i think it's not very clear that asynchronous is the dominant or the definitive part because i think lots of notes could be taken lots of messages could be sent but if they're if it's not utilized if it's not made um if it's not made useful either manually or with the help of the ai then what is the point of all of this note taking all of this writing so um I think I think it's yet to be it's yet to be defined. But we, um, even we at Optimization, go through a lot of change as it relates as it relates to that. Uh, and and I think, I, the right answer is always the 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 right answer based on an organization's unique uh, culture. So, for example, at Optimization, if we were to just condense a few of our values. Um, it's it's there's an acronym that we refer to called COAST. So it's conscientiousness, openness, autonomy, system thinking, and trust and trustworthiness. And so a lot of those values are prerequisites for asynchronous um and asynchronous work that's like very transparent. Mm. So I think we've positioned ourselves to be very heavy into into async and into mm. um, uh, autonomy, right? People not depending on each other and just being able to do to do their work on their own
0: accord. Um, so that's one example,
1: but I think there's all kinds of different examples out there.
0: Yeah, it feels like uh, you have remote work and then there's a subsection of remote work that is synchronous and then a subsection which is asynchronous and asynchronous, like all the people who are kind of downplaying remote work at the moment, are saying that you can't do it at a startup because you're not able to be around other people. And like, so to do remote work well, you have to have the right people who really are autonomous, but then going to asynchronous work is even more so in that sense. Uh, I know Naval Ravikant basically just started a startup where they're 100% asynchronous and i believe that's how gitlab started as well which is like 100% asynchronous no no meetings um which is like really really takes a, a certain type of autist as the twitter language would 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 say um and uh but uh yeah we're running out of time but uh, i'd love to give you an opportunity to let everybody know what you're working on at optimization and where they can find out more
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh you can find out more at optimization.com spelled O-P-T-E-M-I. Uh that's a pun with my name, Tem. Um what we do, we are a Notion consultancy specifically focused on B2B use cases. So we work with high growth companies that are either using or getting started with Notion and we help them implement knowledge management systems, project management, performance management. That's another thing we didn't, we didn't talk about, right? Like goal setting, OKRs, all of, all of that stuff. Um, and we do so with a very unique design thinking process where we sort of took uh, the process around design thinking and implemented it into the idea of workspace design. Um, and workspace building, and then workspace automation. So that's that's our specialization. And right now, it's all exclusively focused around Notion. But the vision down the line is to essentially create a uh, big four type of consulting firm, say, kind of, kind of like Accenture, or BCG, that focus entirely on this modern layer, modern layer of tools: mm-hmm. Notion, Coda, Airtable, Zapier, Slack, uh, Linear, so on and so forth.
0: Very cool. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming to the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I, I, I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.